At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. If you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to open it with me to the book of First John. Or if you don't have a Bible, maybe you have your phone with you. You want to look it up that way. But we're going to be in First John 2 uh, this morning. And if you're at home, I want to give you a special welcome as well. Um, thanks so much for tuning in with us this morning. We're kicking off a brand new series this morning that we're calling The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love uh, Again. And uh, have you ever in your life forgotten something that uh, was important? I remember a few years ago, I was uh, traveling in India. I was there with a, another pastor. We were uh, doing some teaching and training with some pastors in northern India, and uh, I was getting ready to fly home. And uh, on the flight uh, back from where we were at into Delhi Airport, I was feeling a little anxious and, uh, and nervous, uh, mostly because we had a fairly tight window to kind of get from uh, the plane we were on, and uh, at the Delhi airport, when you fly domestic, then go international, you got to change terminals, and it's kind of a whole hoopla that you've got to move through, and so I was prepping mentally for that, and kind of as the plane was landing, getting ready to go, okay, we got to move quick, we got to do this, I got to have this paperwork, this passport, get all my stuff lined up in in order, and uh, so the plane landed, and we scurried, grabbed our stuff, moved through the airport, got through security, did all the things, and finally made it into the international terminal and sat down for a moment to catch my breath before we had to get on the plane, and it was then that I realized that I had left my uncle's $200 over-the-ear Bose noise-canceling headphones that I had borrowed for the trip on the previous plane. And so I panicked, freaked out, went, called them, tried to say, hey, I lost this. And of course, I got the, uh, nobody saw those on the plane, convenient, so of course. And, uh, and I sat there the rest of the trip regretting uh, what I had done. You know, the reality is sometimes when we're stressed, when we're panicked, when things feel a little crazy, that's when we're most prone to forget things. How many of us have, in a scurry, late for work, left the house, got into the car, realized we forgot to grab our keys, grab our keys, go to the car, realize as we're leaving, we forgot to grab our cell phone, right? Go back in, get the cell phone, then realize you forgot, is, am I the only one that does that? I leave four times before I leave once, right? That's just kind of how it works in my life. But sometimes in the midst of stress and chaos, it's easy to forget things. You know, we've come through a year of a lot of stress and a lot of chaos in our world and in our society, haven't we? I don't think we need to recount all that we went through in 2020. But I think something was forgotten in the midst of that year in our culture and in our society. In dealing with COVID-19, racial tension, economic challenges, political division, what I saw often in our culture get left behind is love. It seemed we were so stressed, so worried, so panicked that we forgot how to love each other. Instead, we leaned into labels, we leaned into division, we leaned into animosity, we leaned into anxiety, we leaned into things that caused us to see other people as enemies. We started to believe the worst about each other and not the best. And unfortunately, sadly, I think it's not just a problem of the world, but 
It was a problem in the church, too. I think for many of us, 2020 brought us to a place where even within the church itself, we forgot how to love. Many of us, myself included at times, carry into the new year bitterness, anger, resentfulness, frustration, for a whole host of things. And in that, many of us have forgotten how to love one another, how to love our neighbor, how to love our enemies, and even how to love our God. I was reminded of just the effects that the last year had on the church this past fall by a news story that I read. And in the story, a prominent Christian talk show host, podcast host, he'd written several prominent biographies. The story recounted how he was at a event at the White House, and upon leaving the White House was harassed by a man on a bicycle who was from the political left. This man was a conservative. And in a moment of whatever it was, frustration, lost temper, this Christian ran up and punched the guy on the bicycle in the face. Now that was disappointing in and of itself enough that someone who represents Christ would do something like that, but we've all been there. We've all made mistakes. What bothered me the most about the story was two things. One, the failure of any sort of apology to come from this man. The second was the people within Christian circles that began to rise up and defend him, to say this guy had it coming, that he deserved it and to defend his actions. And I thought, just for the briefest of moment, have we gone crazy in the church? Have we forgotten how to love? Because if you look through Scripture, what you see over and over again, love is meant to be our most important virtue. It is the thing that marks us as followers of Christ. Peter would write to the church a letter we studied in the fall together, and he would say in 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all, love and keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. In 1 Corinthians 13, where the Apostle Paul would write to the messed up church of Corinth, he would remind them that if I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be durned but I have not love, I gain nothing. Francis Schaeffer, the great apologist, wrote a work where he said that love is the distinguishing mark of the Christian life. It is meant to be this thing that separates Christians from the rest of the world. Yet, the reality is, love sometimes is the easiest thing for us to abandon. In fact, Jesus would tell John to write to the church in Ephesus. And he would say to that church, you have abandoned the love that you had at first. You abandon it. You you left it behind in pursuit of something else. And how easy is it for us 
to abandon love. I was just reminded of this in my own life recently. I was driving in my, the car with my wife, and we were having a conversation about a situation around us. And as is normal for me, I decided I was going to give my opinion on the situation. I love to give my opinion. And after saying a few things, my wife began to kind of challenge me on some of the vitriol that was coming out of my mouth and some of the things that I was saying. And so naturally, I began to get defensive because she should know by now that I'm always right when I give my opinion. (laughs) And I started to defend what I said, and she began to challenge back like a gracious and good wife that she is. And it was only later on that I began to realize just what had taken place in my heart. That I had fallen from a place of love in regard to this situation. That I wasn't marked by what Christ called me to be marked by. I was marked by my own self-centered opinion instead of love. It's easy for us to abandon love, the love of our Savior, and even the love that we're called to have for one another. I think sometimes when I look back, even over the course of the last year for myself, I've engaged things that have undone work in my own heart in regards to love. But the good news this morning is that God offers hope for any of us that are in that situation. For he would go on in that same passage, Jesus would say, to remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. You see, the good news that God offers us is that you and I, we can learn to love again. That even when we've fallen from the things that we are called to love, God first, love for others, that there is always the opportunity to repent, to turn, to relearn what it looks like to love. And so as we jump into this new year, we wanted to take time to learn to love again. And we're going to do that by focusing our attention over the next several weeks on some key passages in the book of 1 John. Because one of the main things that John wants to help people understand in his book is that God is love. And that through knowing the God that is love, we ourselves can learn to love again. And so this morning we're going to look at the first of those passages in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. Let me read it for us and then we'll kind of unpack what John wants to teach us. John writes, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes." John writes his letter, just to give us a little context as we unpack this passage, for a couple specific purposes. One, the first purpose that John has for us is he wants you and I to know that we can have a relationship with the living God of the universe. 
We actually see this right away in 1 John 1, verse 3, where John writes, That which we have seen and heard, referencing being an eyewitness to the life of Jesus and what he came to bring, he says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John's purpose in writing this letter is he wants to encourage church. He likely wrote to house churches in the city of Ephesus, where he existed and lived and pastored for a time, to encourage them in the midst of challenges that we're facing, one of them most notably false teaching during the time. But one of the things John wants them to be assured of is that they, they can have a relationship with God. The key word in his purpose statement that he gives is the word fellowship. It's the Greek word koinonia. It can also be translated as communion or participation. It's that same idea of relationship together. And what John wants them to know is that they not only can have relationship with him and the other apostles, but they can also have a relationship, a participation, a communion in God and in the life of God and his people. For John, this is what it means to have eternal life, to know God and have a relationship with him. But he wants his audience not just to know that they can have a relationship with God. He wants them to be assured that they can have that relationship and are in that relationship. In fact, later in the letter, he would give another purpose statement in 1 John 5, 13, where he would say, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. For John, we can participate in the life of God and we can know for certain that we have Life, the divine life of God in us. This is great news, both for his original audience and for us today, that you, you friend, you can have a personal relationship with the living God of the universe, the one who created everything and created you. You can know him and not just know about him, but know him in relationship. For John, he uses this phrase throughout the letter, to know God, and it means that we get to enter into a direct relationship with the living God. This is what God promised. If you remember, we spent December studying the covenants that God made with his people, and his final covenant that he made was the new covenant that he was going to bring in the Messiah, and part of the promise of that covenant was that we would know God in an intimate, relational way. In one of the key passages describing the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, God would say, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. The beauty of what we just celebrated in taking communion, being reminded of the new covenant that God offers, is that you and I, through Jesus, through his death and resurrection, can know God and have a relationship with him. But the question that John wants us to help understand is, but how do we know God? Like, how do we know that we actually know? Like, okay, I I think I know God, but do I know? And how do I know? And how do you know that I know? And how do I know that I know? Right? The the kind of lingering question that sometimes can ring in our ears is say, okay, that's nice. It's a nice idea. But how do I actually know that I have a relationship with God? That I'm in him and he is in me. That I have eternal life in him. Well, John today wants us to help us understand how we can know that we know. 
and how you can know that you have a relationship with the living God of the universe. Because that is where the key for learning to love begins. And in our passage today, he gives us two ways that we can know that we know God. You see the first one right away in verse 3. He says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. For John, the first set of verses here focuses on this idea of knowing God. In fact, he uses the word know four times in three verses. And here's a good key Bible study method is if you see a word repeated in a passage, it's likely very important. It's probably one of the main focuses and themes of that passage. And so for John, this first set of verses, he reminds us about how we can know God. But he focuses us on knowing God by obeying him. It kind of brings us to the first thing I want us to understand today, that to know God is to obey him. To know that we know God is ultimately to know and obey his commandments. Well, what are his commandments? Well, John helps clarify that later in verse 5 where he says, but whoever keeps his word. And so he uses God's word and God's commandments synonymously. It is God's revelation of himself in his word that reveals to us who he is, the world he made, how we are called to live, that we are then called to follow and obey. We see the revelation of God's will and God's word most fully, not only through the scripture, but ultimately in Jesus Christ and the call and commands that he gives. And it's when we follow and obey him that we come to follow God's will and desire his commandments. If you want to know what God's commandments are, simply read the scriptures. Sometimes I think we overcomplicate what God commands when he has plainly given it to us and reveals it not only in his word, but most fully in his son. And so John says that one of the ways we can know that we have come to know him is if we keep his word and keep his commandments. Now this word keep is a key word. It has the idea of guarding something that's really valuable or treasured. Or another way you could think of it is to keep your eye on something that's important, like a parent at a playground who just always knows where their kid is at, right? That's what it means to keep, to focus, to guard something that is of value. And so John says that if we come to know him, we value, we keep, we pay attention to his word. And if we don't do that, well, then we don't actually know him, right? Verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments. So if we don't guard and value his words, John uses harsh language here, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. To claim to know God, but not obey his word is the ultimate self-deception. Because you don't actually know what you think you know. But John reminds us that when we obey, it leads to our assurance. For whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. And by this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Which is a beautiful picture of discipleship. Walking in a way to learn to walk life the way Jesus did. But John reminds us that it is our obedience to God's words that helps provide the assurance that we know God. Our faith produces in us our obedience. Now, that's an important order. 
right? It's not that our obedience produces faith. It's that our faith produces obedience. And as we grow in our obedience, we experience more and more of God's love being perfected in us, and it assures us that we know him, that he is in us, and we are in him. And so what John is saying here is not just it's all about obeying the rules, right? That's the pushback that a lot of people give, like, oh, here we go again. Following Jesus just means I have to obey all these rules and do all these things, and here's the pastor telling me I'm not doing it right enough, right? That i got to somehow live this perfect life for Jesus to love me. That's not what John is trying to communicate. What he's trying to communicate is that the assurance, the desire to know and obey God ultimately comes from within our hearts being transformed. And that as we value and keep his word, we will seek to obey. Again, this is a promise that God gives us in the covenant that he promises to us. For in that same passage in Jeremiah 31, God would say, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declare the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What John wants us to remind us is that when we come to truly know God, we are given new hearts. We are given new desires. And those new hearts and new desires lead then to a life of increasing obedience to God. It doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that we don't fail or stumble or sin at times. But what it means is that we have a desire to repent when those things happen and realign ourselves with God's ways and to live the way he has called us to live, to actually obey, cherish, and keep his word. The idea here is that we can know God because our hearts have been changed and our hearts lead to a desire of obedience. The desire to obey is one of the key assurances that we have within our life of how we can know that we know God. I was reminded of this several years ago. I was interning at a church and working in college ministry at the time, and part of my job was to meet with and disciple college students. And so I would often meet with them to discuss various things, help them in their faith. And one day I met up with a student on campus at the University of Akron, and we sat down at the Starbucks in the student union, and we began to have a conversation about how he and his girlfriend were struggling at the time with obeying God's command for sex. God has clearly revealed in his word that sex is meant to take place between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage, and he was struggling with his girlfriend of wanting to have sex with her. And so we decided that we were going to have a, con so we sat down to have a conversation and we began to talk about it. And he began to kind of push back on some of the ideas of what scripture said. And so I began to kind of unfold for him what God said and a little bit of why God said it, that this isn't God just trying to be a killjoy and ruin our lives, but he actually has a good plan and the way he's designed it is good and healthy. And with every conversation, every time I brought it up, he would kind of push back or give me another thing. And I began to realize through the conversation, the whole time he was just kind of looking for the loophole that somehow I would say it was okay to have sex with his girlfriend. Like that somehow that's where we would get in the conversation. And eventually it came to the point where I realized and I, I challenged him and I said, hey, the question at the end of the day is not whether you're looking for a loophole, but do you actually desire to obey God's word? And I remember in that conversation, he put his head down on the table. And we just sat there in awkward silence for what seemed like an eternity. 
but I could visibly in the moment see him wrestling with whether he would actually obey and whether he had the desire to do so. And that conversation ended on a sour note. And over the next months and years, I would watch that student make sex his God, and he would spiral out of control, causing damage within our community and church and within other people's lives, hurting women along the way, until one day, a couple years later, he came out and said, I'm an atheist, I don't believe any of this anymore. But what was revealed in that conversation that I saw play out over the rest of his life was that he didn't actually desire to obey God. Most people's challenges with God are moral challenges, not philosophical challenges. Most of us don't desire to obey God, and that causes us to look for the loophole. But what John wants us to remind us is to know God is to desire to obey God. To have a heart that says, yes, I might make mistakes, but my desire is to actually obey God's word, to know it, to follow his ways, because I believe that that is what is best for my life, and I trust and love my heavenly Father and his word. To be a Christian is to have a changed heart with changed desires that, release, that reveals in changed action. And so it's a good question for us to take stock of our life. Do you find in yourself a desire to follow God's rules? Not simply out of obligation, not begrudgingly, but out of joy, out of a longing because you know it is what's best. Do you desire to obey him out of relationship, not out of compulsion? If you do, then John says you can be assured. If you don't, then you must question whether you have genuine faith. And so that's the first test that he gives us. John then gives us a second test to help us know if we know that we know. It starts in verse 7, and verse 7 and 8 kind of lead to a little bit of paradoxical statements. He says, Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. So John begins to kind of have this back and forth between this old commandment, new commandment, what's this about? Well, first, what, what is he talking about when he's talking about this commandment? Well, John's referencing back Jesus' new commandment that he gave to his disciples in John 13. When Jesus would look at his disciples at his last meal with them, and he would say, a new commandment that I give to you, love one another, as I have loved you. And this is how all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That was the commandment that was given from the beginning. John actually references it later in the letter in John 3.11. He said, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That as John brought the gospel to these Christians, he taught them in the message and good news of the gospel that one of the ways we respond to the gospel is to trust in Christ, but also to grow in loving one another. That this was a commandment that Jesus gave to them. And in some ways, it's old because it came to them from the very beginning. But in other ways, it's new because love is what marks the new age, the new kingdom, the new community that Jesus is forming. 
And it's a new commandment because it sums up all of God's previous commandments into one command that Jesus said to love God and ultimately to love one another. It's old and new at the same time. But what John is trying to remind us of is that to know God is to love one another and ultimately to love his people. That, that's one of the ways we can know that we know God is if we have love for his people. We have love for our brothers and sisters. And John connects this idea of love with this idea of light. One of his main themes in the first chapter is that God is light. And because God is light, there's no darkness in him at all. That's what he says in 1 John 1, 5. And so for John, to be in the light of God, to have the God of light in you and to be in his light is then to love. When we have the opposite of love, John says that we're in darkness. We're back in the place of self-deception, thinking we know God, but we actually don't know God. We're like blinded people who can't see and stumble around in the dark. When our hearts are marked by hatred for our brothers and sisters in Christ, we lose the assurance of knowing God. We stumble, blinded, hurting ourselves and others. And we allow hate to take the place of love in our hearts. Because for John, love connects us to God's light. And it displays that we have the light of God in us. There's a great reminder of this in the closing lines to the musical Les Miserables, which is one of my favorite musicals. And if you've never seen it, it's one of the best musicals about grace. And it's the story of Jean Valjean, a convicted convict, and his life. And in the final moments of the musical, Jean Valjean is on his deathbed, and he's kind of in this singing song between those who are on earth and those who had gone to heaven before him. Two women, Fantine and Eponine, come and sing to him, and he's wrestling between letting go of the earth and moving to heaven. And in kind of the crescendo moment of his farewell song, he, they utter this phrase to him. They say, and remember the truth that once was spoken. To love another person is to see the face of God. A great line, compelling in its own way. But I think if John was to write that line, he'd flip it a little bit. And he would say that to see the face of God, to bask in God's light, is to then love another person. That when we truly have the light of God shining in our life, and it influences and affects us and we know him, it will result in us turning and loving one another. Specifically in this passage, loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. John will get to the call of love in general and to love all people, but in this passage, he wants to remind us that to see the light of God, to experience the light of God, results in our love for one another in the church, for our brothers and sisters. Because if we cannot love those in the church, how can we ever hope to love those outside the church? And so John says, if you want to test to know if you know God, How's your love for those inside the community of faith? How is your love for your brothers and sisters? Because if you love God, you will love them. You might think of it this way. How do I know 
that my kids love me. Well, part of the way I know my kids love me is by our relationship. John talks about that. Another way and part of the way I know my kids love me is by their obedience. If they love me and believe that I have the best entrance for them, they will obey what I say. But one of the part of the ways I know that my kids love me is by the way they love one another, because I love their siblings. It would be foolishness for my son to hit his brother or sister and then come up to me and say, Dad, I love you. Well, if you love me, you'll love your brother or you'll love your sister, won't you? Because if you love me, you'll love those that I love. That's the natural thing. And if we say we love God, then we will love the people that God loves. It would be foolishness to say to God, I love you, but not so much those people. Yet I've heard time and time again, and you likely have too, I've heard people say, I love Jesus. It's just Christians I can't stand. Well, then you don't love Jesus because Jesus loves Christians. Now, that doesn't mean we don't annoy each other. We certainly do. But it means we're devoted to each other. We care for one another. We push for each other's best. You cannot say you love Christ and not love his bride. You cannot say that you experience the light of God in your life and yet have hatred or despise those in the faith. Yet, Over this past year, I have watched Christians who claim the name of Jesus choose hatred over love time and time again. I've heard people say, I don't even think they can be a Christian because they voted for him. I don't even think they can be a Christian because they support that cause or that movement. I don't even think they could be a Christian because they believe that theology or that doctrine. And somehow, more than I've ever seen in my lifetime, we have chosen political division, racial division, theological division over the mark of love. And then we claim that we somehow have God's light. And what John says is, no, 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 no. If you have God's light, you will choose and love your brothers and sisters in Christ more than their political preferences, their race or ethnicity, their economic status, or even their secondhand theological issues. Love is to be the distinguishing mark of the Christian, and we must be marked by that love. This is why one of the things that I'm so passionate about our church, and even as we step into the next year, is that all of us are in life groups. Because life groups is where love is practiced. It's where it's engaged. It's where we learn to love people that are different than us, that annoy us, that bother us, Life groups are significant because, listen, you cannot learn to love in generality. You cannot learn to love by sitting in a room with people and having a five-minute small talk conversation on the way out of our worship gathering. You learn to love in specificity 
You learn to love in deep relationship. You learn to love when there's challenges, when there's sins, when there's wrong. And so if you want to learn to love over the next five or six weeks, you will not learn it just by listening to me giving you a 35-minute sermon every week, or maybe 40, depending on how I'm feeling. You will learn it by being in relationship with one another, fighting through the struggles, caring, loving, moving together, being in a community that pursues Christ and pursues love for one another. So we can learn to not let the divisions of our world supersede our love for Christ and for our brothers and sisters. So how do we know God? How do we know that we know? Well, John gives it pretty clear in this passage. To know God is to love him. It's to love him. And if we love him, we'll love his ways. We'll love his character. We'll love his word. We'll love his commandments. We will make them a delight to us. Like honey is to the lips, the psalmist says, so his word is to us. And we'll love his people. We'll love his church. We'll love his bride with all the foibles and problems and struggles that we have. Because to know God, to have the relationship that he's designed for us, it is ultimately to love him. And so I leave you with this question today. I think it's the starting point that we all need to ask ourselves if we're, learn, if we're genuinely going to learn to love again. Do you love Jesus? You know, one of my great privileges that I have as a pastor is I have sat with many, many people in my office to deal with all sorts of different things. And oftentimes I will ask people to tell me their story. And a lot of times I'll hear stories where people kind of meander around Jesus. They'll talk about growing up in the church. They'll talk about the way they serve. They'll talk about the Bible study they're in. And over the years, I've learned that sometimes we'll kind of talk around the church and Jesus. And I'm always left wondering, like, but do you actually, like, believe in Jesus? And so a friend gave me that question several years ago, and I started to ask it in moments, because I think it's a clarifying question. Do you love Jesus? Jesus. Not do you know about Jesus. Not have you heard about Jesus. Do you love him? When you look in your heart, is he the one that you desire? Is he the person you follow? Is he the treasure that you seek to pursue? Because if you're going to learn to love, you have to start with loving him. All love flows from him. Because God is love. And the best news of all, friends, is that he loves you. He loves you. He loves you so much. He came to die on a cross to pay for all of your unlove. He covered all of your sins so that you could have a fresh start. So that no matter how far you've fallen on the pendulum of love, if you're like me, you can learn to love again. Not because you, but because what he has done for you. He didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. He defeated those enemies so that you could have new life, so that you could be part of a kingdom that is marked by love, not by hate or division. 
And he doesn't ask you to earn that love. He doesn't ask you to clean yourself up, get things right enough to receive that love. All he asks is that you simply receive it by putting your faith in him. Trust in his death for your sins. Trust in his resurrection. Hail him as Lord and King and experience a new heart, a new life. Experience a love that will satisfy your soul forever. So I invite you today, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, to do that. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, then let this be a day where you just remind yourself that you love him. That he is the one you love above all things. Because to know him is to love him. Let me pray for us. Father God, I am so thankful this morning that you love me. That you love every single person in this room. God, we remind us of that great truth. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but will have everlasting, eternal, divine life. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are in this room or watching online who've never put their faith in you. Help them to see how much you love them. Open their eyes and their hearts to put their trust in you and experience that overwhelming love for the very first time. God, for those of us who are our love has grown cold, maybe because of our disobedience, maybe because of a broken relationship, maybe because of hatred, whatever it is, would you remind us that you forgive us in Christ. That if we just confess those sins, bring them to you, confess that division and hatred, you heal and forgive and you give us a fresh start to experience that love and assurance anew. And God, I pray for all of us just in this moment, even as we prepare to close just in song and worship this morning, would you raise our love for you to a higher degree? Would we leave this place loving you more than we entered in? And may that overflow into a life of obedience and love for one another. May we walk in your light. May we experience more of you. So Spirit, would you work now? Help us to see afresh the truth of Jesus and to fall more in love with him, I pray. In your holy and precious name, I ask these things. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.